Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. So Jesus is speaking, and when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And so he was in Bethany, Bethanage. He was now, uh, this is the, the Passover is approaching. His crucifixion is approaching. It's a week out. This is Sunday, the first day of the Jewish week. So it would have been a Sunday. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethanage and Bethany at a mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples. And I have had the privilege of going to Israel eight times. We're planning on going in March of 21. And I've been on the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful area. And we actually do the Palm Sunday Path, the road that goes down into the Kidron Valley. And so this is where Jesus and his disciples are at. They're coming over the hill from Bethany and Bethanage and boom, there's Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley. They're there, they're seeing it. And so Jesus gives his disciples very specific instructions. In verse 30, he says, saying, go into the village opposite you where you, as you enter Where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who went were sent their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? They said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Very symbolic. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works They had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed in Jerusalem and throughout Israel. Basically, at this time, to get a proper perspective, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. They were being ruled by Rome, and they wanted to be delivered. To this day, religious Jews are still looking for a Messiah. They do not accept that Jesus is the Messiah. They're looking for the first Messiah that's prophesied in the Old Testament. And so to get the context, you want to realize what they're saying here is the Messiah's here. The Messiah's here. Jesus, we're acknowledging healing of the blind, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers. He has to be the Messiah. Now, unfortunately, a week from now, they're going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him. Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They were looking for a conquering Christ instead of a suffering servant. That's why they missed the Messiah. And so listen to what they say. Saying, blessed is the king, capital K, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. 
In another gospel, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now, save now. Save us from Roman oppression. Save us now. They were looking at the physical and not the spiritual. They were sinners in need of a savior. We are sinners in need of a savior. So even though they were proclaiming that Jesus was their king and Hosanna, save us now, O Messiah, again, they were looking through physical eyes. And in this world we're in right now today, how does this apply to us? Well, we, we have certain people that we lift up and we think that these people are going to save us somehow. But again, we're just thinking in the physical realm. We'll save our, econ- our economy. The Congress needs to save our economy. The Congress needs to, and the president, they need to save our lives. They're just men and women. They're just sinners in need of a savior. They're no different than you and I. They can't save us. They can do their best to help, but they can't save us. So we have to be careful who we look to. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, the religious elite of that day, they knew what the people were saying. They were identifying Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, and they wanted Jesus to rebuke them. They wanted Jesus to say, you stop that. I'm not the Messiah. You stop that. I'm not your Savior. Well, let's read on. Verse 40, but Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you, If these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus, according to the word of God in Colossians, says that he spoke all things into being. Now, not that rocks and trees have spirits, because they don't. We don't worship nature. We don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. And we should take care of creation. We should take care of what God has given to us. But we're not to worship it. So what Jesus is just saying is, even in the Old Testament, he had a a donkey had a conversation with a prophet. God can use anything to proclaim the truth if it comes down to that. That's all Jesus is saying. But again, notice what he does say. If I tell you, if these should keep silent, if they stop saying that I'm the Messiah, My father is going to cause the rocks to cry out. And I've been to Israel. I've been to Jerusalem. There's a lot of rocks. It would have been the first rock concert. It would have been amazing. But no, he uses people to proclaim the truth. And that's what we're doing this morning through the word of God. We want to proclaim the truth to you that God loves you. As we approach 8 billion people, 2025, they're estimating 8 billion people, I say right here, right now to you, via the internet, God loves every single person. Every single person, according to the word of God. You can find that in John three sixteen. He loves every single person and many other verses as well. And so you just have to realize that and, and accept that. And you will eventually learn that, that he loves you just the way you are right now. In the very state you're at, God loves you and desires a relationship with you. Well, again, I think most of you viewing this morning, especially from our flock, are are familiar with why we celebrate Palm Sunday. But for some of you watching, this might be the very first time 
this might be the very first time that you actually come to understand why believers celebrate Palm Sunday. Is it just another religious holiday? Again, just to check off our religious box? No, not at all. So our study this morning actually starts in Babylon, where the two southern tribes of Israel have been held captive. It's roughly 550 B.C. So we're going to have a little history lesson to start this off to show you why this day is so important in Christianity. A young man by the name of Daniel was carried away captive from Jerusalem in 605 B.C. before Christ. So now, roughly, after roughly 55 years of living in captivity, God reveals through the prophet Daniel, and this is how the scriptures were written, man wrote them, but God revealed them to men through the Holy Spirit, to his people held in captivity, one of the most important prophecies in the Old Testament. You see, you can verify the Bible through prophecy. No other sacred writings in other religions have prophecy because then it would be easy to prove they're false. The Bible is not afraid to do that because God is outside of our time realm, which I'll explain in a little bit. So he's not afraid to prophesy because he knows it's going to come to pass. And so this prophecy tells the reader exactly when the Messiah would come. I encourage you, read that slide right there. This prophecy in Daniel 9.25 tells the reader, which would be you and I today, exactly when the Messiah would come. And so we're going to throw that slide up, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand. Look at what it says, know therefore. You see, people will argue with me about the Bible, but they've never read the Bible. And not that I know all of the Bible, because I don't. I've been reading it for 41 years and maybe, maybe got 5% of it figured out. Maybe. It's God-breathed. But what I do know is what I'm held responsible for. And I should be learning and studying. So I encourage you, don't take somebody else's opinion and say, well, yeah, the Bible is not trustworthy. No, read the Bible yourself and find out that it is trustworthy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. And that's what's being prophesied here, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. So you just use the word of God to figure this out. What is being said here? Well, we're going to move ahead roughly 100 years to 445 BC. And we're going to find that our Heavenly Father is about ready to inspire another man by the name of Nehemiah. And you can actually read the book of Nehemiah. This man was a man of prayer. He loved God. And he loved the king. He had a personal relationship with the king. He had a personal relationship with God. King Artaxerxes was a heathen king, was going to be used by God to help accomplish his heavenly will. Well, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2. So again, take a look at the slide or go to your um, table of contents in your Bible and find this book. Very important that you read the word of God yourself. Use all your faculties, your ears, your eyes. Nehemiah 2, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in in his presence before. 
You see, when you're the cupbearer, you, you don't want to be sad because then the king knows there's a plot for his life. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And the king said, and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? You see, Nehemiah is pleading for Jerusalem. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. You see, we know that Nehemiah went before the king in the month of Nisan, which is March-April time frame. Once the king gave the commandment to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, I believe the prophetic time clock spoken of by Daniel started to tick. Now, a little history lesson. You can find all this information out yourself. In Babylon, which is located in modern-day Iraq, there was a palace in the city of Shushan. In this city, there have been excavations that have produced writings which give us the exact date of that command to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The date was March 14th, 445 B.C., the exact date. Sir Robert Anderson took that date and multiplied the number of weeks spoken of by Daniel, the number 69, 62 plus 7, 69, times seven days in a week. This would give us 483 days, which was translated then into years. When we then multiply 483 years by 360 days, the Babylonian calendar of that time, we come up with a total of 173,880 days. Now, hang in there. You're probably going, what does this have to do with anything? It's the Bible. Hang in there. Using the current Julian calendar, we now know that there's roughly 365 and a quarter days in a year. So, when you divide 365 and a quarter days into the 173,880 days, you come up with the date April 6th, 32 A.D. That's amazing. But that's the Bible. It's really not that surprising that God knows because he's outside our time realm. But that's the exact date. This is the exact date when Jesus came in on the colt of a donkey. You see, you can verify this information in the coming Prince chapter 10. So if you'd like to take a picture of that or write it down, by Sir Robert Anderson, who lived in 841 to 1918. Very, very important information. You see, as we, I'm going to turn back to Luke 19, and I'm going to read this portion now of the scriptures. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it in Luke 19:42, and he said this, 
If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is rebuking the religious elite for not being in the scriptures and knowing the exact time that the Messiah would come. They could have tabulated this, but they forsook the scriptures. They became self-righteous. Instead of remaining right with God, being righteous with God, they became self-righteous. And they would not adhere to what Jesus was teaching them. So Jesus goes on to say, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and will level you. This is prophecy, by the way. And your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you weren't in the scriptures, you missed me. You missed the Messiah. Judgment is going to come upon you. And it did in 70 AD. Titus, the Roman, came in and leveled Jerusalem. Jesus, through Titus, fulfilled prophecy. So this is reality. So this is the the whole crux of, of Palm Sunday. It's about time. And time is important to us. But there is no time in heaven, as I've already mentioned. No clocks, no sundials, no watches, no cell phones, no no time mechanisms whatsoever. But God created time so that we might understand how much he loves his creation. There's a verse in the book of Ecclesiastes that says that God makes all things beautiful in his time. And that's very hard to grasp sometimes on this side of heaven when we lose a loved one unexpectedly and we shake our fist at God and say, why did you allow this to happen? Now, God makes all things beautiful in his time. Again, we don't understand necessarily on this side of heaven, especially dealing with this current situation that the whole world finds itself in. And we all know this through our modern day technology that the whole world is in this together. This is unique. This has never been before happened. But as we just read in the Gospel of Luke, the Messiah came into Jerusalem right on time, the very day. There was no other day that this could have happened because God is a God of order and time helps us to understand that. So so how do we apply what happened 2,000 years ago into our lives today? Let's make it practical application. You see, if we believe the scriptures, then we know that God has foreknowledge because he's outside our time realm. That he is omnipresent through his Holy Spirit. He is, the Holy Spirit is upon this earth right now, everywhere, wooing 8 billion people to the cross, allowing them to have salvation if they would just accept it. You see, he has the ability to have everything under control, even when it appears otherwise to you and I. Think about this statistic. The average lifespan worldwide, the average lifespan is the low 70s, 72, 73. The average lifespan. In America, the average lifespan is 78 years. 78 years would work out to be 28,489 days. Might want to take a picture of this slide. 
it would work out to 683,748 hours, 41,024,800 minutes, and then the last number, very big number, 2,461,492,800 seconds. That's a really big number. But as you're nearing the average lifespan of 78 years, and some of you saints are over that, but as you're approaching that, the seconds go really fast. And as you get older, those seconds become more precious because you know there's a time you're going to leave this earth. But let's look at some causes of death. To bring some reality to this current situation. You know, looking back to 2017, you can do this yourself. I just went on the the internet and looked up some statistics. Pedestrian deaths in America, 5,977 in 2017. Motorcycle deaths, 5,172 people died on motorcycles. Occupants of all-terrain or other off-road motor vehicles, 717. You're out having a good time out in the desert or out in the mountains, wherever you might be, you're having a good time. And all of a sudden you're dead. 717 annually, annually about 450 people die from falling out of bed every year. Annually, roughly 450 people die falling out of bed. We're getting all hooked up and and worked up about this coronavirus. Death happens every single day by the thousands, by the thousands. Deaths by choking on food averages around 5,000 people per year. 5,000. Get that figure, 5,000. Contact with hornets, wasps, and bees average 62 deaths per year. Deaths due to falling downstairs. You know, a two-story building. 2,493 people die, died in 2017, falling downstairs. Falling from a ladder or scaffolding, 569. Last year, here's a reality check, 61,000 Americans died of our annual flu season. During our annual flu season, 61,000 Americans died. And last year in 2019, 39,000 Americans died on highways. You still drive, don't you? You want to go back to work, don't you? You could die in a vehicle. Are you worried about your vehicle? Never give it a second thought. But are we worried about this virus? Many of you out there are terrified. Why are you terrified? Because you don't know where you're going. This is all I have. I only have so many years, so many days, so many minutes, so many seconds left. This is all I have. Well, that could change. You could receive Jesus as your Savior, and then you would know, and you would no longer have that fear. You would have the peace of God residing in your heart. Here's one last statistic that I found just ironic, funny in the ironic, not funny, funny, but funny in the ironic way. Um, (laughs) Just got to, I just got to get this perfect photo. Just got to get this perfect photo. From 2011 to 2017, 259 reported deaths, just reported deaths, were due to selfies. 259. 
Just got to get this perfect picture. Just back up a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. 259 people, guys. You got you to realize life is short. 10 out of 10 people still die. So you are going to die of something. That's the whole point. According to the same stats worldwide, there are four births every second. And I found this very interesting. Nearly two deaths per second. Nearly two deaths? (laughs) How do you get 50% dead? Two deaths per second. And I just love the answer to this question. You can Google this question. How often does the oldest person in the world die? (laughs) How often does the oldest person in the world die? Uh, It's not a trick question. Of course, the answer involves mathematics. I get it. You get it. It involves mathematics. But the bottom line, 100% of the time, the oldest person in the world dies. They still die. You see, we're all going to die. And these are just a few of the stats on deaths that take place in our everyday lives. And why do I mention these stats in the first place? It's Palm Sunday, you might be thinking. It's a time to celebrate the fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, isn't it? Yes, it is. But the point to the story is that it wasn't just a random day in time. It was a day that was recognized hundreds of years earlier and written down for our benefit. For their benefit then, but for our benefit today. Why for our benefits? Because Jesus says that he is coming back. That he is coming back. And he is coming back for a church, for a bride that is waiting for him to return. We're not escaping. We're not hiding. We're out into the workforce. We're doing what we're called to do. We go into physical battles. We, we adhere to government policies to the best of our abilities. As the Bible says in Romans 13, obey the laws of the land. We also realize at the end of the day that we're going to die. We need a savior. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 17. Let's go through some scriptures here. Because as I step into eternity, I know for certain, not because I have a feeling in my bosom, because I have a feeling in my body, because I'm one with nature. No, I have a, I have, I know the word of God. And so let's look at the word of God. Acts 17, through 27 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Notice what Paul says to these people. Hey, you're religious people. For as I was pushed, passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Notice, they're objects of worships. Do we have objects of worships? Sport athletes? Uh, musicians, uh, politicians, do we worship them? Be honest with yourself. Many people do worship them. They don't bow down per se, but if you speak out against them, somebody else might really get upset about it. Worship. Who are we worshiping? Worship God. Worship Jesus. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world, made creation, And everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, 
since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Notice that. God gave you life. You're listening right now because God gave you life. You're precious to him. Matter of fact, the Bible says you're made in his image. He loves you. Don't take that for granted. Verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation. Notice this. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the whole earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord. And you might be right here right now this morning seeking God. You're seeking an answer for the problem. The answer is Jesus. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now we're going to throw up some slides, so I encourage you to write these scriptures down and go back and reread them for the sake of time. Psalms 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Because you might say, well, how is God reaching them? Jim, would you go back to, to verse 1 there, please? How is God reaching them? Well, just read the verse. This is in the Bible, written over 3,000 years ago. The heavens declare the glory of God. Tonight, go out and look at the stars. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Verses 2 and 3. Day unto day under speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. Notice that. As you're just going through the day, if you would just look around you, the trees. I love this time of year. Spring is my favorite time of the year. Trees blossoming, bushes, the colors, just unbelievable. How does that all happen? Birds, we have egg nests in our, our yard. We love watching a dove. This is crazy. One year, we actually took a picture every single day, and a dove goes from the cracked egg to a mature dove in 10 days. In 10 days. He's flying the nest in 10 days. Wouldn't you wish your teenagers did that sometimes? Oh, I'm just kidding. All right, verse three. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Notice that verse there, guys. There is no speech. Some people say, well, how could God do? Exactly, you can't figure it out because you're not God. But there is a God and he's way above anything that we could ever imagine. He is reaching out even to you right now. You might be listening to this in, a, in Egypt or, or Afghanistan. If there's an interpreter, he's getting through to you. He's reaching you. If you would just listen where their voice is not heard. How about Psalm 90 verse 10? The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. And you older saints can testify to that. (laughs) The golden years aren't so golden. For it is soon cut off and they fly away. How about Psalm 90 verse 12? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Isn't that a great verse? Teach us to number our days. Every day is precious. Every day, virus or no virus, every day is precious. How about Psalm 39, 4 and 5? Lord, make me to know my end. In other words, help me to understand I'm going to die. I'm going to die, whether the government's here or not. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Notice that. The government's not going to make you stronger. God can make you stronger even in your weakest moment via the Holy Spirit. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths. From the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky. 
and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man is at best, but vapor, but vapor. And then we'll wrap it up with James four here. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go and such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Sounds like the stock market, doesn't it? How many people, Jim, go back to that slide, please, in verse 13. How many people have made the stock market their God and they worship their 401k that has been devastated in the last month? Be careful what you worship. Be careful because it's all temporary. All of it. Verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And here we are in 2020. How many billions of people have come and gone over the last 6,000 years? You see, if we come here today and to do just another Bible study on the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem and we don't apply some principles to our lives, then we will have missed the true importance of his riding into Jerusalem. Everyone watching right now has an expiration date. You, whoever you might be, wherever you might be, you have an expiration date. It comes after the dash on the tombstone. You have a birth date, you have a dash, you have an end date. That dash is everything in between. You're living in the dash right now, but you don't know what the rest of this day holds. You might die today. And that's not a scare tactic. That's just reality. We have to be in reality. None of us knows when we're going to die. So it's very important that we evaluate where we are heading. You see, since we don't know when it's going to be, how then should we live? Well, as Bible-believing Christians, with the anticipation of our Lord's return again, the second return of Christ, there is an exact day that Jesus is going to return for his church, the bride. Now, here at Calvary, we believe in the rapture. We believe that Paul taught this in the original 50s. This wasn't dreamed up in the 1900s. Paul was teaching this in the original 50s, the rapture of the church, the taking away of the bride of Christ. Those who look to Jesus as their savior, we will be taken off this earth. Or before the rapture, if we die, we'll be in God's presence at that point. Either way, we know as Bible-believing Christians to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So then the question is, how should we live? Well, let's look at Titus chapter two. For you and I today, as we're living in this chaotic world, this world that is uh, running on fear, anxiety, worry, how should you and I as Bible-believing Christians live? Well, Titus chapter two, verse 11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Notice that. God is reaching out to you right now, granting you salvation if you would accept it. You see, if I, if I have a gift and I, and I re- reach out to you, you have to reach out and accept the gift. I, I can't force you to take it. It's your decision. God is giving you free will. But going on in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. So for today as Bible-believing Christians... 
We should live soberly, like like maybe today will be our last day. Righteously, being right with God, not self-righteous, not going around and judging everybody else, comparing ourselves with them. No, 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 no. That's not what Christianity should be doing. Just being right with God. That's what righteousness means, being right with God. Just being right with God, confessing my sins. And godly and godly in the present age, so living a godly life. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. We, we did this in communion this morning. We celebrated this. That he might redeem us from every, from every lawless deed and purify himself for his own special people, zealous for good works. You see, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, that's why we celebrated communion. You see, at the cross... I think you can see it. Can they see the cross in the screen? Joseph, can they see the cross? You can see the cross in the screen. You see the cross. Jesus went to that cross to die for you, for all of your sins. And on that cross, all of our sins were forgiven. So technically, we've all been forgiven already. The problem is, some of us haven't appropriated that forgiveness. We haven't been humble enough to say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. So instead of being forgiven, all of our sins are held against us in heaven. It's like the Bible here. I use this often. As you look at your Bible, all of our sins are in God's book in heaven. Because we think, well, I can get to heaven on my own. I'm not that bad. And we compare ourselves with so-and-so. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, you might not be as bad as so-and-so, but you're still bad. All your sins are in heaven. But once you receive Jesus as your Savior because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I encourage you to find some pages in your Bible like this. This is now what's in heaven. This is now is what on the books in heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed away all our sins. Again, not so that I might go out and sin willfully, gleefully, but so that I might have appreciative heart and saying, God, thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins, past, present, and future. Not because I'm good enough, but because your son died for me. And I accept that. You see, the word of God is accurate. You can absolutely trust it. I had a conversation this week in a situation and, and they posed that question to me. How do you know the Bible's true? Well, I've been reading it for 41 years. Does that make it true? No. Uh, You can go to Israel. Historically, thousands of of fragments, uh, some whole letters from the very early centuries, historical sites. They're digging up history every single day in Israel. It's unbelievable. Confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. The Bible is correct. It's accurate. It's true. Prophetically, it's there. Jesus is coming back. You can absolutely trust it. It tells us that God loves all of humanity. It tells us that God sent his one and only son to die for the sins of all humanity. It tells us that Jesus is not just a great prophet. Not an angel reincarnated. Not the spirit brother of Lucifer. Not just another good guy, etc., No, Jesus is the Son of God, which would make him God and be given the name Emmanuel, which in Hebrews means God with us. 
In the Hebrew language, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, guys, God is reaching out to you right now via this human vessel, myself, via the internet. And there are many other churches doing this. This is, I don't insinuate at all that this is the only church. That's nonsense. There's many good, solid, Bible-believing Christian churches out there doing their services right now on the internet. I thank God for that. God is reaching you this way this morning, but you have to make that choice. He really does love you. There's no reason not to learn more about him and trust Jesus as your savior. You see, it's your eternity that's at stake, not mine. I know where I'm going because of the word of God. I know where I'm going. You cannot argue me out of it. I know where I'm going because of the word of God. You will die. I will die. It's just a matter of time. The question you might have is, well, how much time do I have? Well, I'm young. I've got lots of time. No, you don't. Not necessarily. Young people are dying every day. You see, no one knows. Don't play games with your eternal state. Don't let religion, because there are certain religions that will tell you don't read the Bible. Don't read the Bible. No, don't let religion stop you from studying the word of God. Don't let family members, there are certain family members that will say, well, if you read the Bible, we're going to disown you. (laughs) Don't let family members persuade you to not read the Bible. Your friends are going to say, what are you getting religious on me? What are you, what are you, it's crazy? That's nonsense. No, it's your eternal state. Don't let your friends talk you out of reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the whole word of God. Don't let any of those things and more get in the way of your eternal decision. And we'll close with this last slide. Jesus came right on time. The first time, Palm Sunday, right on time. And he's coming back again. He's coming back again. And he will be right on time. Submit your life to him today, right now, as I close. Terrence, you want to come up and we're going to close with a simple little song here. And I'm going to offer up to you a a simple prayer. That if you pray this prayer, and it's not the prayer, it's not, it's not my prayer. It's just a prayer that anyone can pray with you. I just, I'm going to pray this prayer. It's not a written prayer. It just comes from my heart to you. And if you pray this prayer, if you're serious, if you're sincere, God knows your heart. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, then you can just pray this prayer. God will hear you because he is God. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. We know that. And you can receive Jesus as your Savior. If you do that, you will become a child of God. You will become his son. You will become his daughter. You will become my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. I may never ever see you on this side of heaven, but I will see you in heaven one day. And that's going to be a glorious day. A glorious day. So I encourage you. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, just just close your eyes and, and bow your head and just repeat this simple prayer out loud. You're using your mouth. You're hearing with your ears. You've already used your brain. You've heard the word of God. You've heard that God loves you. Why would you turn away from that love? 
It's a fact. He loves you. Just pray this simple prayer. God, I am a sinner. I sin. I know I sin. I fall short. I miss the mark of perfection. Which means I need a savior. So God, I accept the repentance that you are freely giving to me right now. I accept that repentance and I invite Jesus to be my Savior. I also invite your Holy Spirit to come and live within me right now. I don't necessarily understand that. But I'm going to trust you will show me via the word of God, via other Christian believers, what that means. So God, I say thank you. Thank you for accepting me just the way I am right now. And because of the Bible, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, because he rose again and he is seated at your right hand, interceding for me. You accept this prayer. And I am now your son. I am now your daughter. And I can now call you my father. Abba, daddy. Out of all reverence, I can call you daddy. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this wonderful moment in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, we do continue to pray. We thank you for our first responders. We thank you for the doctors, the nurses. We, we thank you for uh, our government. We thank you for all those politicians, no matter what party they're affiliated with. We thank you and we ask that you bless them and give them wisdom and discernment with the situation at hand. We pray for those who have find themselves this week out of work. We pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, we just pray for the economy, uh, whatever it ends up looking like. We, we, we trust in you. We don't trust in the dollar. We trust in you, knowing that you will take care of the dollar. You will take care of us because you, Father, have an ultimate plan about this whole situation. Bigger than most of us realize right now. You have a big plan. So give us wisdom and discernment in these days and weeks ahead and bless, again, just bless those people that are serving us 
in the medical field, Lord. We pray for them. We pray that you'd encourage them and strengthen them and that they would receive Jesus as their Savior as well. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to sing a closing song. You know, if you need prayer, you can go to office at ccofqc.org. Fill out a prayer request and we will be praying for you. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, please call the church and let us know or send an email. Uh, We're here throughout the week. The office hours remain the same. This is essential that we're here to minister to you to meet you. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, please come down. We would love to meet you and pray with you. If you just need prayer, please come down. We want to pray with you. We want to be there for you in your situation of whatever that might look like in your life. And we want to remind you, God loves you no matter what happens. God loves you. Don't get angry. Don't get, don't get angry. Don't get mad. Mangry. What's mangry? <laughs> That's angry and mad put together. <laughs> Just realize God loves you. That's the most important thing, guys. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. 5 a.m., right? 5, 5. We're doing a a live streaming uh, sunrise service. We'll be outside, a few of us. 5.45 a.m. next Sunday morning. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.